Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in, in our Bibles. And if you were with us last week, you might recall that we switched our Matthew series um, to the evening service. And we are going to be doing that again this week, uh, primarily because of where we're at in, in the book of Matthew. And uh, the text there we'll be reconsidering again this evening. But as we extended that out another week, I was burned to return to the same chapter that we were in last Sunday morning, and we are considering this, you may recall, as an extension of our philosophy of ministry series. One of our guideposts in our philosophy statement is that we believe that every believer should seek to both seize and create opportunities to speak the gospel in fulfillment of the Great Commission. Um, there is uh, such a gift as the gift of an evangelist to the church. But do you know that no one has the gift of evangelism? Evangelism is something that all of us are to be doing. We are to all be opening our mouths and telling other people about Jesus. And, and the chapter that we've turned to this morning again is one where the Apostle Paul gives an extended testimony to his passion, really, to reach as many people with the gospel. And I'm not kind of infusing passion on there. Earlier in the chapter, he says, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And as you listen to him, it's, it, it's passion bubbling over everywhere about his burden to reach as many as possible. And verse 19 is where we started last week. And you can see at the end of that verse that he talks about becoming a servant unto all that I might gain the more. And then in verse 20, wherever he could, he adjusted to those with Jewish sensitivities so that he might gain them that were under that Old Testament law and, and, and the Jewish interpretations of that. In verse 21, he adjusted to those that are without the law, to the Gentiles, in contrast to the Jews who weren't concerned about Jewish sensitivities. And again, he says at the end, so that I might gain some of them. In verse 22, as it opens, there's no people group, including the weak that he refers to, maybe the unimpressive in society's eyes. There was no people group below him. And if you have a question about what he means by gaining, because that word keeps coming up, I'm doing this to gain more, to gain Jews, to gain Gentiles, to gain the weak. At the end of verse 22, you see what he's talking about when he says that I might by all means do what? Save some. What he means by gaining them is to see them saved from their sins. And right into verse 23, the means of gaining them was the gospel. This I do for the gospel's sake. And I know that's a quick overview, but when we consider that entire picture, what we saw is that Paul is giving testimony to every day, face to face, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your workplace, with extended family. He's talking about personal evangelism, doing what I can to reach as many people as possible from all different people groups around me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning as we move into verse 24, and, and he kind of wraps up this extended testimony, you'll see that he makes allusion to some athletic competitions that were well known in Corinth. Notice verse 24. We'll read down through the end of the chapter, verse 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. 
And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And the backdrop to all of these references to running and, and to the self-control of an athlete and even to boxing and competing to win, the backdrop to all that is the Isthmian Games. You may not have heard of that, but they were held in Corinth, which was an, on an isthmus located between northern and southern Greece. And according to multiple uh, historical records, they were second in their scope only to the Olympics in that day. And reports indicate that it was an extravagant festival of both athletics and the arts. You even think of the, the opening ceremonies of the Olympics and closing ceremonies and all that goes with that. And, and they really attracted visitors and competitors uh, from all over the empire. And the fact is that archaeology finds are still discovering monuments, statues, and inscriptions of various sorts that go back to the Isthmian Games. So for Paul and the Corinthians, this was a big deal in their culture. And as you follow the chronology of the New Testament, I'm not having us walk through all that detail, but multiple Bible students put Paul at, in Corinth at games that were held in A.D. 51. And since there were no permanent facilities uh, for out-of-town visitors until the second century, again, you can read all of that, most of the thousands of out-of-town visitors had to stay in, in tents. Well, interesting connection. Uh, because Paul was a what? He's a tent maker. He's a tent repairman. And it gave him great opportunity to really apply his trade. But also, as we're hearing his testimony, share the gospel with the crowds that had gathered for those games. Reports from that time indicate that there were six basic events. Uh, there was racing of various sorts. We, we see that in verse 24. The running, we see it again in verse 26. Um, there was wrestling. Uh, there were various jumping events. You, you think of um, track and field. There was boxing, and he refers to that. Not, not fighting so as to beat the air. He's talking about boxing there. Even when he says he keeps under my body, the Greek expression is like I render a blow under the eye. <laughs> so he, he's referring there, alluding to that. There was hurling the javelin. There's throwing the discus. And, and it's clear that he's drawing upon uh, his own and the Corinthians' knowledge of all those events to exhort them about a particular arena of their conduct. And, and the particular dynamic in the competitions that he seizes on, all right, is the discipline necessary to win. I think you caught that just reading through, but verse 24, run that you may obtain, that is, win the prize. If that's going to happen in verse 25, you have to exercise temperance, which is self-control. In verse 26, your approach can't be uncertain. You may even want to write a note to yourself or aimless. The idea is that it wasn't, I put a little effort here and a little effort there. No, no, there is a plan. There, there, there was discipline to execute a plan 
for the purpose of doing all he could to compete at the highest levels. In verse 27, he refers to the potential, on the other hand, of being disqualified. That's the idea of, behind the word translate castaway, of being disqualified. Not only, you think about athletic events, think about the Olympics, not only do some not win, many don't, but, but some aren't even eligible because they end up, what? Disqualified in some respect. And I read some accounts of these Isthmian games that indicated that competitors had to commit to a minimum of 10 months of training. And if that commitment was not documented, they weren't even allowed to enter. All right? Now, we know today people training for the Olympics do it for a lifetime. All right? But there's certain qualifications. They literally had to document their training in order to even register and enter. There's a lot that goes into it up front. I, I played high school football, and we would receive a note at um, the end of the spring or early summer that outlined the workout program that was the minimum to get us in shape for the beginning of, of practice. And before the letter finished, it read something like, every year, no matter how much skill is demonstrated in the preseason, if you don't show up for the first practice in shape, you will not be considered for a starting position in the first game. Now, some of us followed the stated program. Some of us went beyond it. Uh, some spent their summer eating junk food to no end and uh, not getting ready. On, on the first day of our practice, and um, our coach, this was in Colorado, and uh, good, good sunshine typically in Colorado. If we happened to get to practice and the clouds were there and overcast skies, he'd be so upset. He wanted us to be in the blazing sun on the first day of practice. And, um, and we, we started with uh, cones that were 40 yards apart from each other in a square. And uh, one station did 50 push-ups. One station did 50 sit-ups. Uh, one station did 21 of what we call squat thrusters. I hear kids calling them today burpees, if you know what that is. Um, the other station was doing eight 40-yard dashes, and we would repeat all of those stations at least twice, and then we'd run two miles, and he wanted the, the two miles to be six and a half minutes or under, uh, right, for the, each. Now, that was the first half of the first practice, okay? And some of us finished that portion in some measure of agony, but, but fairly strong, all things considered. I still have pictures, though, in my mind of the guys who didn't prepare. There was an irrigation ditch um, on the backside of the visitors' uh, stands, the visitors' bleachers, and the multiple guys were hanging over the irrigation ditch, <laughs> losing whatever had gone into their system uh, recently, and, and they were probably wondering if they were going to live, all right? That, that everyone knows that when it comes to athletic competitions, especially of the sort of the Olympics, again, some don't get to compete because they're disqualified, some start, don't finish, some finish but don't place, and, and a great deal of what goes into the success of all that is the preparation ahead of time in the off-season. And when Paul talks here about the Christian experience and a prize to be won, he wants us to have a tenacity about that. Verse 24, run that you may obtain. 
And the parallel to the Christian life would not be that we're trying to be the one Christian that's better than all other Christians in our church, right? The parallel here would be something like joining the ranks of those that made the team. And if you say again, what's the team? The team is what's been under discussion. It is effective, useful servants of the Lord whose lives are reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're gaining people for the kingdom of Christ. And if that objective is to be reached, again, as we've already noted, it will involve discipline and self-control. Verse 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, is self-controlled. And if you're talking about uh, athletics, discipline is necessary for the highest level performance, even those that are the most naturally gifted athletes. I was at a shooting, a basketball shooting clinic with uh, one of my boys years ago, and the coach, um, who was uh, not probably not quite six feet, didn't come across real athletic, but um, he had a long history in Division Three UW Whitewater of um, of high scoring and shooting high percentage from the three point line, and at the end of the the week. He got these boys together, and he said, Look, what you've done in camp will only be worth anything if you go back and put it into practice. And he said, About 75% of you really won't even put into practice what we've been going over. And then he talked about percentages, and he had them down. He said, A percentage of you are going to do it for a week, and then you're going to drop off. Some of you are going to do it until you start scrimmaging and your shot isn't working, and then you're going to go back to old habits. And he, he said, about 2.5% of you are going to profit from this week. And then he said, you know what? That's great for guys like me, because I'm nowhere as athletic as some of you, but I was disciplined enough to hone my shooting skills to stay on the floor. Okay. And, and, and Paul's talking about that even when it comes to athletes. Now, if I had time this morning, I could show you from chapters 8, 9, and 10, which is one big section... That, that Paul is implying that the Corinthians' insistence on their right to eat at pagan temples, that's the backdrop to all three of these chapters. Some of these Corinthian believers were insisting on the right to go ahead and go to the pagan temples in Corinth as part of a social function. They're not going to worship the gods. Meat is just meat. An idol is nothing. We're going for the feast. And he was saying, look... Some of you, in insisting on that, you're not exercising self-control. Everyone else in town is participating in the social life around the temple feast. They're just going along with the crowd for, you know, of, of popular culture. They're taking the path of least resistance at a place where resistance should have been exercised. And, and again, while those feasts in the temple were big-time social functions, birthday parties, retirement parties, wedding uh, receptions, all of that would have happened there. They were like the restaurant of our day. But while all of that was true, those feasts were still in the name of pagan gods, and it was all dedicated to pagan gods. And, and the problem with the believer's participation was at multiple levels. That's why it takes three chapters to address it, and we're not going there But here the Apostle Paul is saying that lack of discipline on the Corinthians' part was a sign that they had lost focus of their mission. 
At the end of verse 25 and, and on into verse 26, he, he speaks again of, of the prize. And notice the end of verse 25, they, those athletes in the Isthmian Games, they do all this discipline to obtain a corruptible crown. Right? So the physical award was a wreath in those days that would wither within a certain amount of time. The real issue, of course, then as it is today is, is not the crown but the fame, uh, the prestige, in some cases, the, the money, the fortune that comes along with it. And, you know, we're in this where he's using uh, athletic illustrations, so forgive me for another one of mine. But at the end of my junior year, we lost a football game for the first time in three years. We actually lost two of them that year, and we lost the conference championship, and that hadn't happened in three years in, in my high school. And when I walked off the practice field the last day, I told a graduating senior, we would not let this happen again. And I would do everything in my power to make sure it didn't happen. Well, most of us in the, in the summer, uh, most days in the summer, a couple of us would, we would run two miles in the morning and park close to my house to get started. And we would do a whole series of sprints, starting 100-yard dashes and then 80 and 60 and 40. And, um, and we were doing push-ups and sit-ups in between there. And then we would mow six to ten lawns a, a day. We'd play catch every chance we had in between. And then several days a week, we'd go to the weight room in the afternoon. And after the weight room, we'd go out to the field and run pass routes. And we had a great coach. We had several tough, talented players. I had a friend that was equally driven and stronger and more gifted than me in some areas. So, so it was far from a, a one-man show, all right? I want to make that clear. But we had a great year as a team, and I had a statistically great year. And, and some records um, are still standing, according to the last athletic director. Um, they were standing 25 years later, and now they don't have that program. They don't play football anymore. And I didn't even have to pay the guy to say all that in front of my boys. I mean, I would have paid him to say it, but I didn't have to pay him. But, you know, when I go back to visit, and I... Fairly frequently, we get back there every few years at least, and no one asked for my autograph today. Um, my, my wife, uh, every chance she gets, pitches out another trophy, <laughs> okay, or, or some, uh, some other uh, medal of some kind that's falling apart. And, and my, I'm down to my mom being the only one that keeps the memorabilia, all right, of, of those days. Um, but I know that when I was diagnosed with cancer at 20 years old, and told that I had two to three years to live. And people say your life flashes before your eyes. I thought that was a misnomer until it started to do that. And, and really, I, as I started to review my life, it didn't take me long to realize that, that the discipline involved in excelling had profit. And, and the relationships formed had profit. But the 20 touchdowns that I did score my senior year and, and some of the recognition that came with that, it was meaningless. I, I remember the team that beat us for the conference championship when I was driving back from Madison to Whitewater, um, Wisconsin, after I got the diagnosis and told how long I had to live. I, I, I had a flashback to catching the first touchdown pass in that game to win our conference championship back. And I actually remembered as that flashed to my mind, that doesn't impress the Lord. That thing means nothing in eternity. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but, look at the end of the verse, 
But we, a what kind? We, an incorruptible crown. Now, I'm not going to walk through even here in 1 Corinthians, but I'll give, you, I'll give you some references. 1 Corinthians 8, he speaks of being blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4 and verse 5, he speaks of having praise of God when before the judgment seat, secret things and the counsels of the heart are made manifest. In 1 Corinthians 4, 8, he speaks of reigning with Christ. In chapter 6 and verse 2, of judging the world. In chapter 6 and verse 9, of inheriting the kingdom of God. In chapter 15, verses 12 through 19, he talks about the resurrection life and being an inheritor of that. And, and we can go out of 1 Corinthians, but believers has, have an expectation of a reward that is future and unending, and if for no other reason than its lasting nature is of far greater value. And, and here again in the context, the prize at least includes knowing that your life has been used to reach people with the gospel. People that will for all eternity be gathered together around God's throne, worshiping and praising him and enjoying the blessedness of all that. Now that's an incorruptible crown. And again, it's hard to believe that with the context in view, Paul isn't contrasting his focused attention on eternal things with, with the actions of the Corinthians. In verse 26 again, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. He's not getting up every day and wondering, what am I going to do with today? He's not going week to week and how am I going to get through this week and what can I do to have a little enjoyment? There's mission, there's purpose, there's focus. And the context, again, that would include what he's talked about earlier, that he's not receiving wages, that he, that he was... Uh, should have been able to receive from the church. He's, he, he's letting his rights go unexercised. Again, what I'm saying is Paul had a game plan in mind for life and usefulness and reaching people, and he executed it. And there's hardships that we know he endured for the gospel. But verse 22, about all of this, just the rigors and disciplines or the hardships, verse 27, I'm sorry, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. I don't want to get, at a minimum, I don't want to get to the place where I'm disqualified. I'm not useful. I'm not effective. Many believers, as you know, start the Christian life with enthusiasm and apparent devotion. They begin to witness to others. They can even be quite fervent about uh, the, the training involved, the discipline involved temporarily. But the cost of staying at it starts to take a toll, and they, they turn aside. And uh, the flesh, um, the world... Everyday affairs, personal interests, family relationships, friendships, sometimes just sheer laziness starts to hinder spiritual growth and, and our witness, and, and at a minimum we lose an effectiveness uh, that lays up treasure in heaven in terms of the life's uh, uh, reach for the cause of Christ. The theme that I've given to this entire section as I overview it there with us, is athletic-type discipline for an eternal prize. Paul's testifying to athletic-type discipline 
for an eternal prize, the prize of reaching people with the gospel. And several applications that I'd make from that, and they really build on each other and, and point to one major one at the end. But the first I would just say is that learning goal setting and diligent pursuit of goals and, and the perseverance of that is a commendable character trait that parents, we must continue to make a priority to instill in our kids. Um, far too many children and young people are just kind of casually playing their self through life today. Out ex in some cases, they're not even excelling at their play. <laughs> because that would be too demanding. One time I spoke with a pastor who has always had staff members around him that are producers. And, and on occasion, um, maybe have produced in certain directions more than he might have liked, at least in that direction. And I, I brought that up and said, how do you handle that? And he just said that sometimes, his literal words were, sometimes I give my staff enough rope that they nearly hang themselves with it. But then he added that he would much rather have overzealous staff that he had to rein in a little than people that he had to kick in the pants to get going. Um, our kids need to have chores, need to finish them, work jobs, fulfill their responsibilities, pursue school with diligence, practice musical instruments, stretch themselves in developing gifts to the glory of God. I'd say even they need to play team sports where they have coaches and teammates and are part of a program and, and learn from that. Paul's drawing on that kind of concept. I would also say that the... The athlete's disciplined self-control is a rebuke of much of the half-hearted, um, out-of-shape Christians who, who do so little. God's people ought to be marked by a certain tenacity. I know we have different personalities, so it's not going to show all the same way. But there, there ought to be a tenacity and intensity about us in pursuing the, the knowledge of God ourselves but reaching others way too many are trifling with devotional life trifling in prayer trifling involvement with with church life luke 16 jesus said that the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of the light they're they're, they're more shrewd they're more wise in their dealing with their own kind than sons of light it's a great shame on us that that People of this world are more disciplined in business and hobbies and athletic endeavors than believers are in the service of the Lord. And the focus of the believer's efforts, and this is where all the application is really driving, the focus of the believer's efforts cannot be on our own discipline, but on increasing our effectiveness in service for Christ. From time to time of communicate with folks and say how, how are things going and haven't done as much of that now that I've been pastor but we're younger and uh, more a little more provocative and try to stir people up personally and uh, and and had people say well I'm pleased with where I'm at and and some of my thoughts are you kidding I really you're pleased with just kind of dropping in here and there you're pleased with, you know, I, I put a little effort, a little energy into some kind of ministry. 
Are, are you really thinking that your being pleased is okay? Isn't the question, isn't Christ, don't I, don't I want Christ to be pleased? Shouldn't that be the focus? Am I doing all that I could and should before the eyes of the Lord? When you think about discipline involved for Paul, it was never asceticism. It, it, it isn't just, you know, self-affliction like monks that remove themselves entirely from contact with the outside world. He actually rebukes that. Colossians 2 is one place. He, he never glorified self-discipline for its own sake or, or the vanity of, of personal promotion. But all of it is glorifying the eternal prize of usefulness to Christ and reaching others. There have been a number of Christian heroes that um, started off as athletes. I thought it was appropriate to find some and mention some again this morning. C.T. Studd, some of you know his name. He was highly skilled and famous cricket player in England when that sport was the most popular sport in England. Everybody in England knew C.T. Studd because of his cricket playing. He had been a believer for a number of years while being a successful cricketer. But he had an older brother become seriously ill, and it made him do some soul-searching. And Stud ended up writing, What is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? I know that cricket would not last. Honor would not last. Nothing in this world would last. But it was worthwhile living for the world to come. And he translated what he had learned from the athletic realm into that same kind of ministry. Stud became part of the Cambridge Seven who served as missionaries in China. He ended up spending some time in southern India and then he really helped found the Heart of Africa missions as he got burdened for that. Stud is the one who wrote, I didn't remember this until this week, I was looking it up, but he's the one that wrote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Billy Sunday, you know that name. He was only an average hitter for the Chicago White Stockings in those days. But he was well known over the course of eight years in the major leagues for being the fastest man in baseball. But on a Sunday afternoon when the team had a day off, he heard the preaching from the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago and he placed his faith in Christ. And about five years later, he turned down a new contract uh, to play baseball for $3,000 a season. Um, for a job at the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, that paid $83 a month. Some modern historians estimate that there were over a million professions of faith during his evangelistic crusades. Eric Liddell, of the Chariots of Fire fame, he won a gold medal, 1924 Olympic Games, setting an Olympic record. He went on to win multiple other track and field awards before he yielded his life to an even greater cause of serving as a missionary in China. And all of those men would, of course, say what Jim Elliott said. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you don't need to be a former athlete to be greatly used servant of the Lord. Some, the focus on athletics can end up being a significant distraction away from serving the Lord. Many that were successes in other fields, music, business, some realm of elite scholarship have left those endeavors to serve the Lord. 
But in many cases, even those endeavors don't have to be left. But what we need to take and transfer is what kind of intensity and focus and goal setting and discipline, what kind of all of that makes somebody excel in any realm of life. God intends for all of the energy and the lessons learned from that to be invested into winning people with the gospel to Jesus Christ. And what all of us need, all of us need, is athletic-type discipline that is focused on serving Christ for an eternal reward. Now, brethren, it would be right this morning then to ask, are there some harmful, and I'm, I'm going to use what I think is the Corinthian context, are there some harmful social um, recreational entertainment choices that involve just going with the flow of the popular culture that, that are damaging your usefulness at potentially, potentially multiple levels. That's, that's the most specific application right to this text. Beyond that, we could even ask, are there some undisciplined habits personal habits that are limiting usefulness in reaching others. Maybe even is there a relationship or a circle of relationships that are drawing away usefulness in reaching others. Has there been a, a, a lack of appropriate investment into developing gifts? You've been given gifts. Are those gifts functioning at the highest levels that they could be? Or have they been carefree in the, in the development of that? Have we just lost sight of the mission in general? And we could talk about ultimate purposes, glorifying God, absolutely. You know we're not denying all that. But one of the means by which God is glorified is when his people practice athletic-type discipline for the sake of reaching as many others with the gospel as they can. And by the grace of God, let us all be stirred by this example to stay focused and to commit to doing all we can to reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?